um, as Catherine says, we are in the book of Job, and we're, we're coming to soon this, uh, and next week, uh, uh, hold on, we can just go to, yeah, today I have this one question that, that Ellen is going to continue, Ellen is going to continue to speak today, uh, the secret friend that just showed up uh, last week. Uh, so if we go to the slide with the uh, overview, we're now over here, and then next week guys will show up and start speaking to Joe. Um, and so we're entering, entering into the climax of the whole story. Um, but before we get that, Elihu has some questions, and he, he kind of has three main points of where he is uh, asking serious questions about Joe and how he behaves. And he, he is very thorough. He has been listening very well. He is not just sitting there picking his notes. He, he, he can quote many things that Joseph says. And he's going to ask him some questions about this. And he's also going to ask some questions about, and even last week he also started entering and said, no, God is not your enemy. And God is not the one punishing you. So he was, those things that we might have also felt uncomfortable with uh, so far, he, he goes to question those. Uh, some of the main things that he's going to going to enter into is also I mentioned last time he was going to enter into this um, Job, you cannot make yourself righteous because if you do that, then God is not righteous. There's this uh, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but the, 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 the thing is that if if you are righteous, then God cannot be because it's an either or. And so Elihu also pressed that not. He doesn't seem to be as mean as other people. Uh, he does seem to, he wants good for Job, and he, he tries to alleviate, uh, I'm not out to get you, I'm not just out to punish you, and I'm not just gonna say you are a bad sinner, although maybe it sounds like it today. Um, but I really wanna encourage you, but I'm also gonna ask these questions, because you have said some things in your great pain that, doesn't not, that don't seem to be true about who God is. Um, and so we will enter into some of those questions. Um, that he makes himself right with God, and that um, then today also Job is going to, he picks up on Job, who has been said, uh, it doesn't matter whether I live a righteous life or not. It doesn't matter if I sin or not. And so I think he, along with, uh, along with uh, uh, the preacher in Ecclesiastes, he's just, he's saying that it doesn't matter in the sense we're all going to end up the same place. Like, it doesn't matter if I, I, uh, I'm getting way ahead of myself. But we'll get there. That's one of the things where what's the difference with living a righteous life and just not falling down? And then also the notion that God somehow had wronged Job with the way that he was treated. So those are some of the things that we will, we will talk about today. And so we'll start here, and uh, we'll start with the start. And so it was 35 months before Elihu is going to continue and say, and, and Elihu answered and said to Job, Do you think this to be just? Do you say it is my right before God? That you ask, what advantage have I? How am I better off than if I had sinned? I will answer you, and your friends with you. 
So this is a, what I was getting ahead of myself trying to answer is that he is going to ask Job, Job, you said, or at least you, I heard you say that it doesn't matter how I live my life because God's going to deal with me in the same way anyway. So it doesn't matter if I actually obey God or I don't obey God. I come probably from Job. <laughs> Just looking at his life, which is like, well, I think I've done all the right things, uh, but this calamity still hit me, so why am I better off now than if I would have done all the things that wasn't good? And so, again, you might echo the, the word of the preacher in Ecclesiastes that says it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, and we all go to the same place, it doesn't matter if you follow or you don't follow, the end would be the same. He doesn't, though, did have different conclusions is that you need to follow God anyway because that's the best way. So the question is, what difference does my actions have? And also when we look at our own lives. And, and some of the answers that come, come next in the text would be the obvious ones, just like you would think. Well, of course it has a big difference whether I sin or not. Because we could say, well, maybe it's abstract sinning or against God, but you know by experience when people sin against you, it affects your life. <laughs> and when you sin against others, it also affects their life. So we know that it, it is not just this, uh, it's not reality to think about to say it doesn't matter how I live my life, because it does. You can maybe say, okay, now I'm thinking, more, I'm thinking more philosophically that if I do this and this, maybe it doesn't make so much difference. And Job is in that situation saying, okay, I'm here and all this stuff, why all my good works did they make any difference? But we know by experience that relationships get broken, families get broken, uh, relationship with God gets broken, when we're not following who he is. So it makes a big difference. We know that just by living life. We know that it makes a big difference whether we follow God or Now then it becomes a, then they, they start becoming a, Elihu starts answering it in a little bit of a odd way where he says, well, can you take any way, can you take anything away from God or can you add it? So uh, if you sin against God, can you take anything away? If I do good, will I add to you guys? Well, no, we can't. We won't add to God and we won't subtract to God. God is God. But that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that we don't try that we don't obey God. So he makes this it's trying to counter Job's it doesn't matter what I do statements. I was thinking that, and just reflecting about this and I, I, I have a passage from James here where it makes a very big difference 
how we live our lives and how we choose to live out our lives. So uh, James, he writes in James, first, uh, James 1, 12 to 18. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tem being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The desire when it is when it has conceived gives birth to sin, and when sin and, and sin when it's fully grown brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow in the change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So when we are looking into what James is saying, when we're looking into sin and disobeying and obeying God, there's a very big difference in obeying God and not obeying God. In giving in to our own desires and destroying other people with our words or, or, or with the way we act. Because he talks about, no, 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 it brings forth death or disobedience to God. I was reminded about another parable, maybe most of you know it, it's found in Luke 15, 11 to 22. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's the parable of the prodigal son. This is also, I think, a, an illustration of some, some sons who take into their own hands their desires and their wants and totally misunderstands who their father is. The youngest one says, I know better than my father. My father's keeping me back. I'm, I'm going to take his inheritance and I'm going to go somewhere else. And when I get there, I will find joy or happiness. My father's kind of limited me. I need to get away from my father. Well, he does that and he, he uh, after some time, he was poor, and he and he among the pigs, and he comes to his senses and repents and sees, you know, he really needs to be at least his father's servant. So he goes home and is very well received by his father, who has seen him as dead, but he has repented and come back. So the father receives him. There's another brother in the story, and oftentimes it's we find ourselves when we don't know Jesus to be the one that ran away. Uh, but then after some time, maybe we start to be the older brother. And we totally forget what it was to be in the way. He's, Jesus is telling a parable to the Pharisees. So here comes the point of the parable. The older son has always been a he, he says, I have kept all your commandments, and you have given me nothing. Father says, 
You are here with me, and all I have is yours. Both of the sons told you to understand who their father was and what they, and what they had in their father. When we start talking about whether we should obey or not obey, whether that has any consequences or differences, we all know that it does. But the question would be, what is our view of God? What is a friend's view of God? How is it that it goes so wrong in Job? What's between misunderstanding who God the Father is? And even also, with these two, two brothers, the one that was obviously a sinner and ran away, but repented, but then the one that stayed home and trusted in all of his good works, didn't know the father any better. He also saw the father as limiting and pulling him down. And it was actually about him and his friends. When we talk about how they view Job, how Job and his friends view God, and how just the things I mentioned here view God and why 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 there is a big difference in sinning against God or not. I was also reminded about what John he writes. He says, uh, John writes that Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. There's no guarantees in this life that we're just going to be all successful if we just, if we uh, keep all the commandments and do it right. There's no, there's no more like guarantees like that. And like we talked about maybe, I don't know, too often, Jesus says he will have trouble in his life. Uh, there's guarantees, but the guarantees are that you will have trouble. <laughs> like, so there's, um, but, it, but should that, should that draw us closer to the Father, or should that, should that have us run away from the Father? God does have a better plan. But it might not be a plan that we would have chosen. Then we go back to Job. And Job, he, uh, he, he, he keeps answering Job and he, he talks to him about Job has said that God is not answering because Job is in all this pain and all this stuff is happening. He's yelling out to God and he's not getting an answer. Elihu now attempts to to say why God is not why it could be that God is not answering. They cry out, but he does not answer them. Because of the pride of evil men. Surely God does not hear an empty cry, nor does the Almighty regard it. How much less when you say that you do not see him, that the case is before him and you are waiting for him. Now because his anger does not punish and does not take much note of transgression, Job opened his mouth in empty talk and he multiplies words without knowledge. And who says to Job, okay, so the reason why the reason why God is made he's not answering is you because you are prideful. You have exalted yourself about God. So therefore, God doesn't need to listen to you because you have a pride. 
And even more, if you don't believe in God is there, then why should God reply? Your pride and evil does so God doesn't have to answer. And then he kind of steps on and says, and then you just say a lot of words and empty talk and you speak with no knowledge. Um, I was just reminded about this one verse from Hebrews uh, that is an encouragement to everyone who wants to find or believe that God is there. That without faith it's impossible to please him, God, who for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. When we look at this, and, and I've had some, uh, when I was working at different places with teenagers, they're like, oh, is it okay for God not to listen to me when I pray? Because you have different pray, uh, places in the prophets as well where God said, I'm not going to listen to prayer because tired of me and everyone. And he, Elihu is also saying, well, God doesn't have to listen to your prayer because you're full of pride and, and you don't believe that He's there. Well, when we come to God, we come by faith. By faith in what Jesus has done, or else we have no way to come to Him. But we call out to God. And God can, in His grace and mercy, open our eyes. Because most of the time it's probably us that actually does need to humble ourselves and ask for the of God. It's hard to believe, it's hard to believe that I was just thinking this, it's it's hard. Understanding who God is, it's not like he's here and just so annoyed that we speak too much to him. <laughs> I don't think that that, that exists. I think he is uh, way more waiting for us to speak than being annoyed at what we bring to him. I think sometimes maybe he's more asking us to actually bring what's really inside instead of just maybe words. The question is actually a good one. I was just reflecting a little bit about the question, should God answer wicked people and so on? But we see God interacting with so many wicked people and actually using people that are pretty horrible throughout the, throughout the Old Testament. He uses Pharaoh, he uses other people, communicates to them, and actually, I'm going to use you, and I'm going to use you this way, I'm going to use you this way, and also in the prophets, I'm going to use this king, and this king, and this king. So when God wants to, he can communicate to whoever he wants to. You could say, is God obligated to hear what we say? Well, I mean, we know he knows everything. And he also hears everything. Should he respond? Well, that's up to God to decide what he responds. I was thinking about one thing um, in this particular as well. Because if we look to our example, we also see something that even this song talks about, the one song we talk about. The one only perfect one, Jesus Christ, he did not sin at all. But when he was in the most distress in the garden, 
he was passed over, or his request was, was passed over. See, is there any oil away? Can you take this cup? His request was gracefully denied. His father did not say this. And on the cross, we hear Jesus cry out, Why have you forsaken me? But that was so we and the wicked could be set free. There was silence from God to the one who's never acted wickedly as sin, that we might be set free from sin and death and the evil one. Elihu, he continues in chapters 36. And Elihu continued and said, Bear with me a little and I will show you, for I have something to say on God's behalf. I will get knowledge from afar and ascribe righteousness to my Maker, for truly my words are not false. One who is perfect in knowledge is with you. What? Perfect in knowledge. Well, here Elihu apparently seems to be very certain that he's speaking for God. Um, and, and he's going to affirm that uh, God is righteous and, and those, all those things. Um, he adds he's going to speak only the truth and he says, I'm the only one who's perfect in knowledge. Okay, so this, is, this passage is one of those passages that that I think you should study more. Because there's many different interpretations. And a little bit of what I spent quite a lot of time on last time with who is Elihu, what did he do? If he's the only true perfect one in wisdom, well, then he, in principle, could be a pre-incarnate pre version of Jesus. But other people would say, it might suggest that Elihu is referring to God, that God is the one who has perfect knowledge. But I think it's, it's well worth studying more. Um, but in any case, it's a very bold statement that he uses towards you. Elihu continues describing God and his greatness and how God can save and that his might and strength and God is righteous and God. God gives understanding, and God can deliver people, and He can open people's ears to hear Him. And then He, and he kind of contrasts that to Job. And then He says in uh, 36, 17, and 23, But you are full of judgment on the wicked, and judgment and justice seize you. Beware lest you are enticed into scoffing, and let not the greatness of the ransom turn you aside. Will you cry for help, avail to keep you from distress or to force of your strength? Do not long for the night, do not long for the night when people vanishes in their place. Take care you do not turn iniquity, turn to iniquity, for this you have chosen rather than affliction. Behold, God is exalted in his power. Who is a teacher like him? Who prescribed for him? His way. Who can say you have done wrong? This is a big one. This is a big one. So where 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 Elihu would say you are saying that God had wrong. 
Who can, how can you say that? How can you say that when God is exalted in power, when God has no teacher, how can you say that God has done wrong? He warns him about different things. He, he warns him. He warns him, don't. I know right now, Job, you're in all this pain, you're frustrated about all the wicked going free. Be aware, and I think this is applicable to me and maybe also you, is when you see injustice, be aware that when God doesn't act the way you want to do immediately, that that doesn't turn into you sinning against those people and scoffing. Backtalking, backbiting, slandering them because they're not getting what they deserve. This is not an easy task. Um, I would say uh, I could definitely see myself struggle with that as well. But that's his, his, his warning to Job. Job is in his pain. He, he was questioning why God was doing what he was doing. Um, God's not responding to his pain and his suffering. And, and Job is questioning that. Why is he not showing up? Why is he not, um, why is he not reaching out? Elihu here said, as, as Job is, is is um, questioning the wisdom of who God is and making himself above God. One of the things I thought it would be good for us is to consider these questions and I thought it like peace time. When you're not in a lot of suffering, when you're not in a lot of pain, um, consider, is God, does God really need my advice? Can I teach God? Or do I trust Him? Because those are the things we need to set and struggle with before we're in some tragic situation. So that when those things happen, and it might not even be tragic, it might be a fantastic situation where you get a promotion, you get a fantastic job, you're making more money than you ever did. But maybe your heart goes to trusting yourself. Trusting your worldly success, or being so mad and mad and frustrated at the things that are not happening, I, guess, I think it can happen just as much in, in prosperity as it can in despair. But when, when, and how much do we allow ourselves to like? It's it's so easy because we're gonna be like, oh God, you should have done it this way. when we say that out loud <laughs> to the one who has all power and all wisdom, then it sounds silly. But that's probably what we think <laughs> sometimes. I think I had a few words just done it this way. As, or the, as the backstreet boy said at one, at one point, I want it that way. Um, so I think it's just some good things to wrestle with. Is God really the, 
is he really the, is he really, like, is this really true? He's exalted in power. Who can teach him? No one. He has all this power. He's all-knowing. He knows everything. I think just there, I just wanted to clarify there's a difference between asking God, be like, okay, I don't understand what's going on, to then despair and say, I don't trust you, or I need, I need you to do something else. Um, I think uh, Job and the Psalms also teach us that we can ask God, okay, I don't understand what's going on, could you help me here? Um, but I think there's a very different, there's a difference in, in that and grumbling. Grumbling, accusing, and rejecting God is different. That's not really that's not really asking questions. That's showing in our hearts that we don't trust Him. Uh, grumbling is made famous by the Israelites in the desert, showing again and again God has shown Himself so many times that they still don't trust Him. We really have to be careful. I, I believe to look at our hearts and say, Am I starting to grumble now? And show that I don't trust. Elihu um, goes on about the majesty of God. Remember to extol his work of which men have sung. All mankind that looked at it and behold it is from afar. And God is great and we know him not. And the number of his years is unsearchable. Praise God for His work and for His greatness. He's eternal. It's good for us to come and sing and praise together. I mean, I think that's just what I've been feeling also. When we come together to praise God and worship in song and in prayer, it does something in us. Uh, and then it kind of goes on with the next part where, where uh, in chapter 37, talks about God's majesty and power, about light and creation. God's described as awesome, almighty, powerful, just a mystery, perfect in knowledge. And he actually here, he says, stop. Hear this, Job. Stop and consider the wondrous works of God. Do you know how God laid his commandments upon them and caused the lightning of his clouds to shine? Sometimes it's good for us to stop and consider the wonderful works that God is doing. The heavens declare the glory of God. All God has created, the power, the rain, the storms, the beauty, the flower, the children, the whole of the people, the led to worship the Creator, not nature. And who continues And now look, and now no one look on the lights when it's bright from the sky, and when, when the wind has passed and cleared them. Out of Noah's come golden splendor, God's clothes with awesome majesty, the Almighty, we cannot find Him. He's great in power, justice, abundant, gracious, He will not violate. Therefore man will fear Him, he does not regard any will wise in his own. This seems to be a fitting bridge to what's going to happen next. Next week, Mars is going to talk, and God is going to show up. God is going to be awesome, and we can't find Him. But like I said last time, 
God finds us. He can open up our eyes so we can see Him. We have been lost. God has never lost. We are lost in darkness and sin. And even God can show us in His creation who Himself is. I was just reminded of about Romans. And, uh, this is baby. For the wrath of God is revealed from Him against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, by which the unrighteous suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because as God has shown them. For in invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature has been clearly perceived since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their future hearts. Their future hearts were uh, claiming to be wise, they became fool and exchanged the glory of the made mortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creepy things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts of impurity to the designing of their bodies and themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship that served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed for him. One thing that I don't think I've said totally clear is that of course we don't want to do that, that's obvious. But something that happens. When you saw the two brothers, when you forget it's not about the rules, but it's about God. It's not about his stuff, it's about who he is. We're at, we are invited into a relationship with God. That can give us blessings, that can give many But it's a relationship. It's the greatest gift is God Himself to us. That we were blind, but now we can see we can have a relationship with who He is. I have this slide here from a commentator, and he, he or me uh, agrees with each other that it's a fitting, fitting uh, bridge. Elihu, uh, he defends God, he, uh, sends, uh, he sensitizes Job to his need for humility. Uh, he describes God, God's wonders in the works of the relation of nature. Um, he starts probing Job about some provoking questions, and God's going to do the same. Um, and then he's going to talk about how is it that God, how is it that Job has been justifying himself and thereby condemning God, which God is also going to manage. So rounding up, what happens next is what we all need. We all need God to open our eyes to who He is, to who He really is. The whole struggle in the book of Job is because people are not understanding who God really is. He's not revealed very well either in their lives. Job is very righteous in the place of all the rules. And he has his friends that are insisting on that he has failed, although they can't point it out. New friends say, okay, Job, you do a lot of righteous things, but you're not about to ask. What needs to happen is that God shows up, 
He shows up and shows the friends that you're who you really And then things, the people's heart have changed. You can grow up in church, or you can have heard about Jesus many times. But if God doesn't show up, open up your eyes to see who you really are, then you might live like the older or the younger brother. And you misunderstand who God is. You might as well do everything right, but when things don't go the way you want, you ask questions about if God really knows what he's doing. What we really need all of us is to have God to come and open up our hearts. And so I pray in peace that that's happened to you and maybe online. Uh, it'll be a great day. Because like I said before, God is not lost. He is right there. So if you will just boldly just believe, as we said, if you believe or even have you, you doubt believing that he's there. How about boldly just praying, are you there? Can you reveal yourself to me? I need you to show me who you are. And then I'm going to skip to it. And I say, for you guys who know and love Jesus, stop. You probably have to stop a lot more than you would like. I think that was so good from everything today. Stop. Take time to praise and enjoy and exalt God. Amen. God, we thank you so much for this time. I pray for you. Anyone online can hear but I really pray you continue day by day to reveal yourself truly to us. We need it. We need your help. We need your encouragement. Or else we're just going to do things in our own strength and in our own way. Though we want to humble ourselves to hear, to see, to know who you really are so we can get that out. Pray for everyone who has an itch in their heart to know it. Lord, I pray for boldness and courage to pray to you to Holy Spirit, open up their eyes and hearts and bring people to yourself, adopt them into your faith. Lord, thank you for Job. Thank you for the book of Job. Thank you for revealing yourself to us through your word. Thank you for reminding us to stop, thank you. Maybe even stop to look at the stars. See how they show your magnificence, how that's worth Lord, help us understand and press in to know and understand that you are the good. That you know me, having our eyes open to who you are, is the greatest. Thank you, Christian.